0: to the Animal Voices Radio Show, Western Canada's only radio program on animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM co-op radio CFRO on unceded and ancestral Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam and Squamish territories in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Today is Friday, January the 8th, 2021. I am your host, Allison Cole, and I am joined here today by our co-host, Grace Wampold. Hi. Hi, Grace. Welcome to the show today. It's a year of new beginnings. We're eight days in. And have you thought about your goals and aspirations for 2021 this year? I know we spoke about this a little bit last week, but it still continues to be a brand new year. So do your goals include learning more about how to embrace the path of a compassionate vegan lifestyle where you are doing the least harm possible to all creatures that inhabit this earth, including yourself and including the earth too, of course. This is part of our mission here at Animal Voices to encourage, educate, and provide support for our listeners to become inspired, informed, and armed with the assistance they need for making the journey towards a better world where your lifestyle is in alignment with your ethics. For today's feature interview, we have just the person who is an expert in all this and recently wrote a book that is out now called The Veg News Guide to Being a Fabulous Vegan. Look good, feel good, and do good in 30 days. We have author, podcaster, and activist Jasmine Singer back on the show today. Now, her book is over 250 pages, but in the limited time we have today, Jasmine will be sharing with us a nice dose of extended thoughts and aspects shared in the book. Where Do You Get Your Protein? That's in the book. How to Eat Plant Based on a Budget and What to Eat Exactly, Especially if You Don't Cook? Well, that's in the book too, as well as 28 more topics, one chapter for every day in the month, as you use this guide to take the steps towards veganism. That interview is coming up in 22 minutes, so please do stay tuned. And on the theme of planning your future and the year ahead, do you ever think about money? It may seem like a strange question. I am not innately money-focused myself, never have been. However, as I reach towards the latter part of my life here, it's finally hitting me that I could be and should be doing way more meaningful things with my money investments. There are so many vegan startups coming out these days who need investors who already know and support the potential of these companies that will strengthen the economy in making a kinder and more sustainable earth. I recently found out about a nonprofit called the Vegan Investing Club and wanted to learn more about it. And it sounds really exciting and promising, as you'll hear in our first interview today with its founder and longtime vegan advocate, Mark Perlmutter. He has a lot of useful information, and in this interview, he explains how investing dollars in startup companies works from the ground up. And I learned so much myself from this interview as a newbie.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited as a young person. It's been kind of new on my horizon thinking about investing and where to put my money. And as a vegan, it matters to me as well that where I invest is linked to my morals. Looking through the news this week, I read that the plant based cheese market is growing, and that if you're looking to invest, you should consider vegan companies. So that was really. Relevant. That's perfect
0: Um, timing for our show (laughs) today.
2: Exactly. It's funny too, because in relation to that article, there was another one by The Independent, and The Independent released a survey of foods that hinder people from going vegan. And it's specifically a British selection of people. And I snagged the top 10 out of the top 40 foods that Brits would miss out on if they went vegan. Number one being cheese followed by eggs and milk.
0: Wow, that's not surprising because it happens to be that the number one food addiction in North America is cheese or the number one food, also pizza. But cheese is what makes pizza, right? And (laughs) yeah, we've done a lot of shows about that, but it doesn't surprise me. That's so ironic and also kind of funny because in our interview later on this show with Jasmine, we speak about this exact topic. So, (laughs) and, and yeah, Jasmine has some really interesting Interesting insights and information to share so keep listening
2: yeah it's something that I was really conscious of because I realized what a mutual fund is and my family was suggesting that I invest in a mutual fund but it really freaked me out when I realized that a bank could put your money and fund the oil companies or the dairy industry and you wouldn't know that you were profiting from something you don't believe in so It really is an important topic when you're thinking about veganism. The whole point is about investment because you're making sure to not invest in animal flesh and that can be sometimes symbolic when it comes to your investments. Yeah, I really
0: appreciate that you're thinking about that being so young, Grace, because when I, you know, I just did as my father told me, which was to invest in RRSPs since I I have as a young age, he got me started on that. And honestly, when I was at the bank and I was trying to choose my portfolios, they were just all boring. I chose, (laughs) uh, I basically just said, the person at the bank said to me, do you want low, medium or high risk? And I said, oh, kind of like moderate high. I'm a risky kind of girl. So <laughs> so I would rather take my risks actually in investing in vegan startups. Because if you can imagine, if we had the chance to invest in Beyond Meat years ago when we knew it was starting up and, you know, we had the information, the insider information and also the very good butchers who I interviewed this summer and now they're just skyrocketing in their stocks. It's like we have that... Proceeding information and we know that these things are going to take off but also it's not just about money it's about supporting an economy that is going to support a better world for our future and our children's futures as well.
1: The Greater Vancouver
2: Food Bank has been providing support for our cities for almost 40 years and has been vital to helping thousands of community members through the COVID-19 crisis. To find out how you might benefit from the Greater Vancouver Food Bank's services or to learn how you might donate money or volunteer your time, please visit their website at
1: foodbank.bc.ca.
0: For our first interview today in the spirit of considering goals and aspirations for the new year, we have Mark Perlmutter on the show. Mark is a longtime vegan advocate and an entrepreneur who has co-founded a nonprofit organization called the Vegan Investing Club. This club is a community of people who want to come together to help accelerate the vegan economy via as little as a $100 investment into vegan companies that they wish to support. Why put your investment money into boring and perhaps unethical stocks or RRSP portfolios that don't do anything to support the shift towards a vegan world of doing the least harm that we want to see? Mark is here today to tell us about how this all works. Hello, Mark, and welcome to the Animal Voices Show.
3: Hi, Allison. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be here.
0: Well, I'm really excited to learn more about the Vegan Investment Club, which I only happened to first hear about a few weeks ago. Your club is a nonprofit that gives information and recommendations to your members to help make the world a better place via their investment dollars. Can you tell us first about what prompted you to start such an organization and tell us about how it
3: works? Sure. Thanks for asking. So I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a vegan. And I talked to other vegan entrepreneurs when I was getting ready to finance the company I started. And it's been pretty difficult for vegan companies because they're not normally considered to be the high-tech growth companies in the Silicon Valley, Bay Area where I lived. And so the idea of figuring out a solution for my company and then vegan leaders said, well, if you figure it out for your company, make it available to other companies. And that was really the genesis we're going to figure out a template we're going to do with my company, and then we're going to figure out how to share it with other companies. So the Vegan Investing Club is simply a group of people who want to be alerted when vegan companies are looking for early stage investors. And one of the magical pieces about it is we're using crowdfunding as our vehicle of investment. So that means that you can invest as little as $100. That's
0: amazing. That makes it really accessible. So I, I wonder if you can speak a bit about the trend of vegan startups wildly taking off in the past few years. And this is a time where even or you, one could say, especially in 2020, the most booming sector in the food industry is vegan food companies. Is that right?
3: You're exactly right, Allison. So uh, if we roll back a few years, uh, a lot of us in California, I'm in California, I watched as Beyond Meat was financed by tech giants like Bill Mm. Gates and Vinod Khosla from Sun Microsystems and the founder of Twitter and a lot of other luminaries in Silicon Valley were investing hundreds of millions in these vegan food companies. And most of us were on the sidelines watching because most of us don't have $100 to play. And uh, and then, of course, 2014 rolls along and we're 15 and we see these products being introduced all over the country, Burger King, McDonald's, Mm. and, you know, Chicken McNuggets and everything veganized. And then, of course, the Beyond Meat last in uh, 2019, last year, that successful IPO made records on on Wall Street. My background is securities. And we actually measured the performance of Beyond Meat. It was the best-performing IPO in 20 years, not the best-performing vegan IPO, the best-performing IPO, period. So that's an amazing metric. And so that woke up Wall Street to the vegan playing field. And most of us vegans have been jealous because we couldn't usually get into those early stage investments. We couldn't invest when they were, you know, just right. starting the company. It finally went public in 2019. We could invest if, if we could get access. So that's really the genesis of the wake up call for general investors. All of us vegans that might want to invest small dollar amounts and invest our values, we have to use crowdfunding or we have to wait for a company to go public. We're not able to get into the early rounds, you know, three to five years ahead of when it goes public. So that's what crowdfunding really affords. It allows people to invest in companies they know and love. Maybe they're a customer of Beyond Meat before it's going public. They know it's gonna be a killer deal because they love the product and they're telling everybody they know. And so by crowdfunding into a company that's early stage and going, you know, hopefully going to go public or get acquired in a couple of years, you can invest early and then have an exit as a small investor.
0: I just love that because i do see all of these vegan companies popping up and thinking wow i'd really like to be a part of that and as a as any person in the society a lot of us think about investments and retirement investment plans savings plans in that where we might be putting our money into some as as i mentioned before into some boring bank portfolio (laughs) that the bank offered me and I'm not really I'm not excited I'm not passionate like I want to be excited and passionate about everything I do and I as a vegan activist myself I want to be forward-thinking and proactive with everything I do including where I put my investment dollars right so um, so this is why this topic particularly piques me as a person who is is thinking about, you know, we are a consumer and we we make choices with our dollars of the food and products that we buy, but we can also do that with the food and products that are trying to get out and succeed and might fail if not enough vegans get together and rally. But in all seriousness, who is this club for? Is it for any vegan with $100 to spend? Or would you say the demographic goes deeper than that?
3: Well, I think you actually hit on a really good point. Who's it for? So who would be interested in seeing the environment solved? Okay, who would be interested in seeing the public health crisis in North America, West, you know, Western Europe, and coming quickly into India and China because we're exporting our terrible food habits? So anybody who's interested in seeing solutions to that, and of course anyone who's interested in the animal issue and and you know treatment of animals, so it could be for anyone who has any of those interests, those sensitivities. It all it also could be for a pure investor, although that wouldn't be the target audience for our vegan investing club. We're not really thinking that vegan are going to suddenly turn into people that wake up in the morning and think, Hmm, I have to go make an investment this morning. Let me do some research before I go to work. No, that's, that's not really the game plan. It's really for people like you, like me, who we all have savings for our retirement. We all have some money being put away into the 401k or their retirement and you have in your country. And so the idea is that if that money is going to be saved for us in our retirement, why not put it to work in something that we feel proud about? As you said, something we're excited about, something we know. And, That would be the key element. If you know a product, if you use a product, and you're on the early side of a trend, you're on the front of the trend, and you see how big it's going to be, and most vegans are leading the trend. They are eating vegan, and the rest of the mainstream is starting to eat that way, and it's really catching on. It's really exploding in the U.S., North America, Northern Europe, and so forth. And so what's really happening is the trend is happening. The vegans know it early they should be able to invest a few dollars in things they know and love. So that's really who it's for. People who understand and believe in and identify with the idea of eating maybe less meat, less chicken, less fish, less dairy. Maybe they're trying to get their family to move in this direction, but nobody's listening. Well, now they have a Beyond Meat burger, and they can bring it home from Whole Foods. And wow, it tastes pretty good. And they got Diet Cheese, which is based in Vancouver, I understand. So your hometown. So there's a lot of opportunities for us to, be on the leading edge with our values, with our knowing of a product that is coming into its own and be a small investor through crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is the vehicle because most of us won't be qualified in that 2% of the accredited investor rule, the million dollar minimum investment, $200,000 minimum income, which is the general angel investor category. So if you're not in that category... And you still want to invest in these early stage companies. Crowdfunding is a perfect way. And that's the new set of laws that are on the books today.
0: Thank you for explaining that. I I wasn't quite sure of all how that works. And I'm learning more and more just from this brief interview. And then also, I just wanted to say, too, the Vegan Investing Club, it's for anyone in the whole world, right? You don't have to be situated in San Francisco or... New York or wherever that where all like a lot of these companies are starting up, they'll take money from anyone, right?
3: <laughs> well, that's a great question. Okay, so let's just consider uh, what we're dealing with in the U.S. Uh, there's a set of securities laws, and the U.S. allows outsiders to invest in these companies. So it is regulated. These are laws they are on the books, the SEC. Other countries have their own sets of laws. For instance, UK. The UK is way ahead of you know both your country, my country, and most other countries, it was really into crowdfunding like 15 years ago. It really forged, say, a path through the forest. And it's very exciting because it's done very, very well. There's been no incidences of fraud. There's been lots of successes and exits. And so it's been a very vibrant marketplace, and it's really helped the economy of the UK. And that's part of the reason it was started here in the US as well. And so we will see other countries growing but right now, it's the UK's primarily Sweden, believe it or not, all country, but very active in crowdfunding. Germany has some. French has some. It's a little bit in other northern European countries. Israel, and then the U.K., Canada, U.S., Canada. And um, let's see. Australia has a version of it. Not exactly the same. It's uh, slightly different. And then I believe there's something starting in India, which we're very interested in. And here's the reason. There's something like 250 million people who were raised and grew up vegetarian. And a lot of them are questioning if that diet's working for them, they were, they did it primarily for culture and religion, but 250 million people are thinking about going from vegetarian to vegan. It's not that big a jump. That would be a huge market to crowdfund companies. And I know vegan entrepreneurs in India, they're starting vegan meats and vegan dairies and vegan soybean and soy milk. And so it's a, there's an exploding opportunity all over the world, just as vegan awareness for the benefit of the environment, benefit of health, and benefit of the animals. Just as that awareness is growing all over the world, this idea of being an early investor in things that you know and love and the spread of these new laws because it can help the economy, which every government wants to help the economy. That's part of their mission. So that's what we're seeing. That is the future. You're exactly on point here. We're we're at the beginning of a trend that's really going to go global, as you said.
0: Exactly. So it's not just a thing to do because, oh, I'm vegan and I want to do something to help the animals. It's something to do that's actually going to accelerate the worldwide economy and improve. When I say to make the world a better place, which I'm always saying that vegans are trying to do, this is one really effective way that hasn't really ever been thought of before into the way that you are organizing this. So I wonder if you can tell us your plans for the three phases of the Vegan Investing Club.
3: Yeah, that's great. Thanks for asking, because I want to make sure your listeners understand, right? You know, right now we're in phase one. We're just building our membership. It's free to join. There's no obligation. There's no fees. There's no dues. Basically, we will give the members alerts of companies, vegan companies, that are using these crowdfunding laws, these new laws we're talking about, which let anyone invest. And we set certain template standards. We want a certain template so that the companies that we tell our members about meet this minimum criteria. That's what we're doing right now, we're, we're building our membership. We're developing the template. That, that will. The first company will come through. That'd be phase two. And when the first company comes to us and it sets up its template, we'll tell the members, hey, here's the first company. Check it out. There'll probably be one or two companies in phase two. We'll prove <laughs> that works. And then phase three will be more long-term. That'll be where there'll be lots of companies, probably three to five companies a month. And the goal for members would be, learn some things in phase one, listen to other members and experiences that they've had because there's been about 15 or 20 vegan companies that I know over the last five years that have raised money from the general public, from fans, from small investors. So there is a little bit of investing that people have done. And on the website, on our blog of veganinvestingclub.org, you'll see some stories and in the emails you get. And when you sign up for free, you get a series of sequence of emails. We're intending to try to inform you and make you feel comfortable that this has been done before. Here are some experiences by some of the members who helped start the club. And so the idea is get ready in phase one. We're at 5,000, just over 5,000 members. We want to get to 10,000. And then we expect our first company to to be announced. And then when I say announced, all is, is an email alert. If you click on the link in that alert, it'll take you to the crowdfunding platform. And just so everybody understands, crowdfunding is regulated by the Securities Exchange Commission in the U.S. and by similar agencies in other countries. And so in this case, in order for a U.S. company or any company to raise money in the U.S., it has to do it on a portal, a crowdfunding portal. These are like little typical small broker-dealers, special, special law giving a license to these broker-dealer type websites. And so you wouldn't go to the company's website. You'd actually go to these pages that the company has on this portal. And so the link that we will send to members will say, hey, we've talked to this company. This company follows our templates. They'll let people invest 100 bucks. They'll have a special discount in the early bird period, and they have an exit plan. Those are the three things that we teach all our members to look for. You want to invest in something you know. That's a vegan company, a vegan product that you have some experience. You understand it. You see it's good. You either used it or your friends used it. You see how people are responding to it. Secondly, you want them to have an exit strategy. And thirdly, you want to be able to invest a comfortable amount. And when I say $100 as a starting number, you know, some people might say, hey, I've got a bunch of money i want to put it to work i've got maybe five thousand dollars in my savings account that i want to take three thousand out and put it into companies well you might want to divide that by 10 and then put 300 dollars into 10 companies because early stage investing is very unpredictable just like you can't predict the weather 10 years out but you might be able to predict it tomorrow well you can't predict the future of a company 10 years out but you might be able to predict the company's situation tomorrow based on today so that's another thing we teach. Members, make sure they're aware. Early stage investing is unpredictable. So you cannot be smart if you just pick one company. There's just no way. Even the professional venture capitalists, they diversify because they know something's going to happen that was unexpected. And the one they thought was going to be the big winner, isn't it? And the one they thought wasn't going to do that well is the home run. So you've got to invest. You've got to plan to invest. we recommend 10 companies. So we don't recommend which companies. You pick them and you do your own investing on the portal. We just give you the email to go look at it. But before we send an email out, we make sure they have the three criteria we require, which is an exit strategy for those early investors. So that might be a three-year to five-year business plan with an exit. Secondly, a $100 minimum. And thirdly, we want them to offer some special discounts to our members. And so that's what the template is. And then when the members feel comfortable, they would make an investment, but they should plan that over the next year or so to do 10 small investments. So, if they decide $100 per investment, that's $1,000, bucks. let us put 1000 bucks aside, and then do, you do one, one a month for 10 months, and there you are, you got your little mini diversified vegan retirement portfolio.
0: <laughs> and I think it's empowering to know that your retirement portfolio is all vegan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's wonderful. And then you forgot one tip as well for being an investor, which is to be patient, right?
3: <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> I wrote that yeah, one excellent. down.
3: <laughs> excellent. That's so bright. Thank you for remembering that. Yes. Well, and particularly when we're talking about early stage. See, if you're investing in a publicly traded company, that means the stock is quoted every day. There is a price. You could call your broker or go online, e-trade, and you could sell it at that price on the moment. That's called a publicly traded stock. When we talk about early stage companies, these are early. They're not publicly traded yet. Someday they want to be publicly traded. That might be the exit strategy. The other possibility is they might want to be bought by you know, a bigger company like Beyond Meat, want to buy another smaller meat company. So there's a lot of ways you could exit. But the thing is, it is going to take a few years. So you don't want to think of this as, well, let's see. I'll invest my rent money. And then when I need it, I'll, I'll get it back. No, that's, that's not it. <laughs> you got to be patient. <laughs>
0: yeah. But then you may really reap the rewards just for waiting, of course. And that's the kind of investing I like.
3: Exactly. If we look at Beyond Meat, my guess is that Bill Gates, and early investors in 2008 and 9, I think, is when they might have done the early investments. They might have invested at three to five dollars a share. Of course, it went public at a quoted price of 25 bucks a share, but it quickly went up to 60 bucks, and then 100 bucks, and then eventually topped out at over 200. Settled back down to 120. Or so. so that's the jaunt, that's the journey of the public stock. But if Bill Gates invested at three bucks and if he was able to exit at 60 bucks, that's a pretty darn good return for yeah. three, five, seven years. And so that is the idea of early stage investing. You want to invest early, give that company a chance to use the money you give them to grow the business they've, they've described, to grow it up, get big, the wave, ride the wave, you know, ride the wave of popularity of the trends, the marketplace. And then when they exit, maybe you're going to exit at a three or five or 10 or 20 times the price you invested. that's the goal. The goal is to exit at a higher price than you you paid, obviously.
2: So how
0: can our listeners join the Vegan Investing Club and get started with investing their money into ethical opportunities that align with their values of compassion towards animals and the earth?
3: Yeah. First of all, I want to say thanks for the work you do. It's really important that people hear, not only from one person who might be a blogger, but as you do, you interview people, and you bring many voices. And this really helps others realize they're not alone. There's lots of points of view. They get information they didn't have. So thank you for the work you do, Allison. It's really wonderful. To answer your question, it's really simple. The website is, just as it sounds, veganinvestingclub.org. And when you land on the website, you'll see some little videos which explain how it works. You're welcome to watch those. You'll also see some quotes from people in vegan... Leaders like Toferky's Seth Tidbit gave us a nice quote, and we have endorsements from Animal Outlook and from PEGA and so forth. And so the idea is you would just give us your name, your first name, your email, and then what country you're from. And then we'll let you know when there's a company that's ready for small investors, and we'll be notifying you if it's country appropriate. That's the reason we ask for the country. Some countries it's not appropriate. So for instance, I tried to invest in a company called All Plants that did a crowdfunding earlier this year in March right at the beginning of COVID. Can you believe it? And they're a vegan meal delivery, frozen meal delivery in UK doing really well. And when COVID hit, they ended up raising like $3 million in a couple of weeks. Amazing, right? All from small investors, like 1800 investors. Isn't that cool? And they turned me away because I'm a US citizen. I wasn't able to invest. So we're not allowed to invest over in the UK, but for some reason, the UK guys, UK can invest in our company. So We'll, we'll try to be country appropriate, but all we're going to do is send you email sequence educating you about you know, some stuff on crowdfunding and how it works and examples from other members. And then when there's a, in phase two, when there's our first test companies, and then in phase three, when there's many companies, and uh, there's no obligation, and all you're giving us is your email, and you can always opt out whenever you want to. So that's how you do it. simple.
0: Well, that sounds like a win-win for (laughs) investors, for vegans, for the animals and the planet. Thank you so much. Mark Perlmutter for coming on our show today to tell us about the opportunities that lie in investing your money into vegan companies that align with one's ethics of not harming animals and in being kind to the earth. I've learned a lot from you today and I think our listeners have too. For more information about the Vegan Investing Club as we just said, simply go to veganinvestingclub.org and peruse the information there and sign up for the newsletter. It's all free and you can be one of the innovators to join the worldwide group of people who want to put their dollars towards making the world a better place truly happy new year mark and stay safe
3: thanks to you allison thanks for this opportunity to share my ideas with friends and and the vegans around the world that listen to your great program
0: you are listening to the animal voices show on 100.5 fm cfro on vancouver co-op radio in vancouver british columbia canada
2: For this week's news, American Airlines says they will no longer provide emotional support animals with the same protection as service dogs, meaning that now you need to pay $125 to $800 if you'd like to fly with your companion animal. Next, BC mink farmers have decided to kill over a thousand animals after having tested positive for COVID 19. The government did not ask for the mink farmers to do this, however, After a few individuals tested positive at the site, the farmers decided to kill their animals. No other reports of COVID-19 have been found at the other eight mink farms in British Columbia, but no more mink farmers in the province are being allowed to operate in response to these COVID-19 cases. There's been an update in a case from September in which a BC Princeton woman was found harboring over 97 animals in her home, including 67 dogs, 27 horses, and three cats, which were seized from her home over the summer. The woman has been ordered to pay $250,000 for care of the seas and neglected animals. Lastly, a House of Commons e-petition is calling for the Prime Minister to support and encourage the, the closure of wildlife markets globally that could become sources for future pandemics, and to commit to end the international and domestic trade in wild animals and their products that could aid in the spread of zoonotic diseases such as COVID-19. The petition is sponsored by Michelle Rample Garner, MP, and it'll be linked on our show notes.
0: So this is a new petition as I understand the Vancouver Humane Society just sent it to us in the mail a couple of days ago actually the email I should say and I think it's I think it's really important I'm glad that they're supporting this position I'm glad that there's an MP who's actually put this out because as we've discussed on the show quite a number of times this past year since COVID all started. We know that pandemics, zoonotic diseases like COVID is, they're passed on through close confinement of animals, such as in the wildlife trade, as happened in China earlier this year, and has the great potential of happening Again, as it has already in North America as well, right? So it's about time that people, including our government, because we're a progressive nation, it's about time that our government supports putting an end to this. And I did an interview with Melissa Matlow from the World Animal Protection Organization earlier this summer, if people want to look up that interview about ending the wildlife trade. That was in August And if you want to learn more about what zoonotic diseases are as well, we did a whole show on that in April with Dr. Aisha Akhtar. Very interesting. There is no more any opportunity to deny what zoonotic diseases are and that they're causing pandemics. And I think it's about time for our country to get with it and put an end, at least on our part, on our nation to supporting these conditions for animals and especially wildlife Mm -hmm. trade we don't need the wildlife trade it's it's disgusting and also also illegal in many ways Mm -hmm. that it's done and factory farming too of course and also the mink farms just like you were talking about that is a completely unnecessary industry who wants to be wearing dead small animal on their bodies in this day of age in the name of fashion, it is no longer a fashion statement. It's a statement of horror, if anything. So yes, that petition, you you mentioned where it's at, right? It's on our Facebook page. It's pinned to the top. So it'll be there for a while. But it's also on our website at Mm animalvoices.org. Thanks for the news, Grace.
2: No problem. Yeah, as you can see, a lot of our headlines point to issues related to zoonotic diseases and animals in confinement. So I'm happy this petition is posted.
3: We're not owned by the emperor, so we can say the emperor has no clothes. <laughs> Vancouver
1: Cooperative Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM.
0: For our feature interview on today's show, we welcome back Jasmine Singer. Jasmine is an author, editor, speaker, activist, lesbian, and vegan, and she has just written a stunning and joyful book called The Veg News Guide to Being a Fabulous Vegan Look Good, Feel Good, and Do Good in 30 Days. What a way to start off the new year! In today's interview, we'll be speaking about some of the topics covered in the book but Jasmine is a multi-talented human being and her other achievements should be noted. I know Jasmine for mostly as a podcasting colleague as she and her co-host animal law professor Marian Sullivan have been producing the award-winning Our Hen House podcast for the last 11 years now, Never Missing a Week. It's an animal advocacy and vegan podcast as well. She is also a long-time overall activist across many realms, including animal activism, body positivity, LGBTQ activism, and anti-racism. She uses many major to spread the message and can be seen in documentaries, TV shows, books, and as the former senior editor of Veg News Magazine. Without further
4: hesitation,
0: welcome back to the Animal Voices show, Jasmine.
4: I'm so excited to be here. I can't believe it's been so long. Hi. Yes, hi. Yeah, it's been a long time since we
0: chatted. You know, I do I do listen. I try to keep up with your podcast, so I am a regular listener. So I sort of feel like I always know what you're up to, and I love hearing about your life on the Our Hen House podcast. But I had to look back in our archives to see when exactly was the last time that we had you on the show, Jasmine. And can you believe that it was exactly five years ago today that we had you on the radio show, January 8th, 2016. And it's, yeah, so talk about just being, this is just perfect timing here to have you back. And that interview was in promotion of your memoir, Always Too Much and Never Enough, which was a wonderful book that anyone, whether you're a vegan or not, would appreciate and adore. You've contributed to some anthologies since then. And of course, all of your writing for Veg News magazine. And now your second book has just come out, which is called The Veg News Guide to Being a Fabulous Vegan. So can you tell us a bit about how this book came to be as you are a writer and veganism is one of your expertises? And mm-hmm. and talk about the collaboration with Veg News as well, which just seems so fitting. It's like that was meant to be as well.
4: Yeah, when I chatted with you last, when Always Too Much and Never Enough was coming out, I was knee deep in a giant book tour for that book. And I was very determined to use personal narrative as a means of social change. So my first book really focuses on that, on my personal journey of going vegan, on dealing with eating issues, body image stuff, as you know. And at that point I had uh, moved from New York to California and I became the senior editor at Veg News for a while. I had been already writing for th- this epic vegan company, the biggest vegan media brand in the world for many years by then. I think my first article came out in like maybe 2006 with Veg News. And at that point I started to think about what I wanted my second book to be and I was contacted by someone who wanted to write a vegan book. And I started kind of exploring what that would look like with him. It was Milo Runkle from Mercy for Animals. And so we started talking about what that collaboration could look like. And then he sort of had a paradigm shift in his life. And contacted me and very lovingly, gently said he has decided to put his energy elsewhere for a while. But meanwhile, I was already, you know, sort of thinking about a vegan book and and it really worked well with Veg News for me to then approach Veg News and say, hey, do you want to be my partner on this book? And Colleen Holland, who's a very old friend of mine and the publisher and co-founder of Veg News said, yeah, what does this look like? We spent a while putting the proposal together, switched to agents at that point, and the rest is kind of history. It, it was, a, as you say, it was incredibly fitting. It, that was like three years ago, so it takes a very long time to birth a book. And here we are with The Veg News Guide to Being a Fabulous Vegan. I'm so excited to have a partner in, in this book that is as knowledgeable and, and well-respected and such a world expert as Veg News.
0: Yes, absolutely. So your book is divided into 30 chapters, one for every day of the month. And each chapter provides an encouraging, informative and succinct read of a different topic about going vegan, so that a person can read the book as a guide and be set up for success and ease themselves into the vegan lifestyle. The book has a comedic, lighthearted, and accessible tone, just like I hear in your podcast every week. It's very fun to listen to. And there's a treat at the end of each chapter, which I love, in the form of a fun new vegan recipe for the reader to try out. So it's a perfect package. So in the time that we have for the interview, I'd love to dig into some of the topics discussed in the book that may encourage and intrigue our listeners to listen more about why and how to shift towards a vegan lifestyle. I think this is a great time in history, actually, for this book to come out because more and more people have embraced veganism in the last few years. And you say that the number of Americans identifying as vegan has gone up by 600% in three years. Why do you think that is?
4: Well, it's funny because, you know, in in a way, it seems like it was overnight. But you and I have been doing this for a very long time. And Colleen has been doing this for a very long time. And so many people who we know have been advocating for farmed animals and and working to end the exploitation of animals for a very long time. That sort of, you know, in the weeds animal activism really paved the way for the mainstreaming of veganism. You know, they're not exactly the same thing, but they're very, very hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. So when veganism started to get more popular, you and I were already vegan for a very long time. We already knew that it is the best choice you could make for the animals, for the health of the planet and for our own health, both physically and and our mental well-being. So why do I think it jumped? I think that it was because of all the groundwork that, <laughs> that yes. we were all doing,
0: you know. And how about for, how about so social media?
4: Right, I think that uh, it is something that certainly appeals to a lot of younger people who are all over social media. Certainly, the ease of hashtag culture makes it really useful and a no-brainer to see what's going on and like. Hashtag vegan in Vancouver, for example, or or what have you. And, and then we had all of these documentaries pop up. You and I definitely remember the dark days of vegan cheese, but we also remember the dark days of vegan documentaries when there were very few. There was, let's see, Vegucated, of course and Peaceable Kingdom. But, you know, that was before streaming culture. And that was before people were able to really easily access these documentarians' uh, dreams of, of getting out there, the world of suffering that animals were going through, as well as the many health benefits and and global benefits of going vegan. So once the change makers came out, once what the health forks over knives, we were looking at a different world. The 600% jump in vegan, it might seem overnight, but we were paving the way for that for many, many years. Yeah.
0: So I think when a person goes vegan, they need to be successfully armed with a plan on how they're going to feed themselves, obviously, because that's the main step, right? For example, if they like to cook, then they're set because there's millions of vegan recipes out there that they can try out and have fun with. If they don't cook in your book, you give lots of options on how to eat out as a vegan during travel and even in Mm -hmm. common fast food restaurants, what to ask for exactly. I love the advice you give for tackling lunches, for example. So maybe we can talk about that a bit just to dive into some interesting food suggestions because you have an endless list. And I was very impressed because yeah, that is a list that we all know, but people won't ever think about perhaps because they they just lack that, that jump into a realm of creativity where really anything's possible. Because as you mm-hmm. say in the book, there's a vegan version for everything. And I love how you talk about how lunch is the most anticipated meal of the day because that I think that rings so true to many of us who have gone through school. So that's most of us have gone through those days where we are waiting and waiting for lunch to happen so we could have something good to eat and a break in our school day. Also, I often hear people saying that, and these are people I think who aren't vegan, I hear them saying that eating vegan is expensive, but is it really? I know I pride myself in eating really cheaply when I want to, and I only spend a lot of money when I'm buying things like specialty vegan products. So please talk to us about lunches and eating vegan on a budget.
4: Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad that you noticed that I talk about how to do it if you're not a good cook. I actually have a whole chapter devoted to that, although it is advice that is sprinkled throughout the book, mostly because I'm not, I'm not really that great of a cook. Not only am I not that great of a cook, but it isn't something I enjoy that much. And I've been vegan for a long time. So first of all, I think that when you're talking about going vegan for the first time, as you said, the key here is that there is a vegan version of everything. A lot of condiments that people have, uh- from nut butters to various types of sauces and dressings and stocks are frequently you'll already have the vegan version. And if you don't, then it is a very simple shift frequently right next to the non-vegan one. If you're looking at, you know, bouillon cubes or you're looking at some kind of broth, the vegan one or vegetable broth is almost always vegan. Check the label, but it is right next to the chicken broth or the beef broth that you're looking at. You definitely want to make sure that over time, You are stocking your cabinets and your fridge. It's not something that has to be done all at once. But, you know, I haven't had lunch yet today and I'm just going to quickly run to the fridge and see what's there. You throw something together. And that is something that is a little intimidating to new vegans. Like, How do you throw something together? Because I'm used to, you know, this, this and this. And so it it does. I don't want to underplay the fact that like that is a big shift for some people. They need to start thinking differently. And we're busy, and we like convenience. But uh, there is a vegan section of every grocery store. It is called produce, <laughs> yep. and and it it's everywhere. So it 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 might require a little bit of of. Exploration into, like, you know, the health food aisle if you want, or maybe you look at the vegetarian entree section of the frozen aisle that maybe you haven't visited before, but it is not that hard to make the shift once you approach it with curiosity. So, you mentioned, is it expensive? I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, Allison. Like, yeah, it can be. It can also be really expensive to eat meat, it can be really expensive to to buy the specialty <laughs> products, but that's not what gets the bad rap, right? Like know. people are never like, oh, oh my gosh, I can't be, I can't be Omni anymore because veal is so expensive or like, that fancy artisanal cheese is so expensive. I know,
0: I know. I think, I think dairy cheese is the same price as really good vegan cheese. And I was looking at meat prices the other day in the store because it, it was placed beside the Beyond Beef. And they're, they're very close. So I don't think that's a reason. And you don't buy that stuff all the time anyways, or at least I don't.
4: Right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, if you're on a budget, then you stay on a budget, you stay on it, but you start to do it the vegan way and look for the cheap vegan section, the produce section. And maybe you start to go to different ethnic markets, which tend to be inherently cheaper and, you know, more so than uh, than Whole Foods. Asian markets, for example, frequently offer big blocks of tofu and miso and soy sauce and noodles and rice. Definitely at a fraction of the cost you'd find at Whole Foods or at Indian marketplaces. You can find like some great deals on things like chickpea flour at Latin markets. You'll want to definitely get your tortillas. So all of these foods are gettable. And that's not even counting the bulk bins, where certainly things are cheaper. But I know that a lot of people go right past those bulk bin aisles. You don't even have to go in the bulk bin aisles to eat vegan on a budget.
0: Another thing too, is uh, at least in Vancouver, we have a Vancouver Vegans Facebook group. And I think I started this years ago is I would, I would post all the deals I would find because I'm a deal person, right? And I go to a place where there's a lot of vegan deals. And I want to share them with my fellow vegans in Vancouver so I post fo- photos and say look this is here now at this price and people are people frequently do that now and all you have to do is look up your local vegan Facebook group to find out what deals are around and um, mm-hmm. and there's even a vegan vegan Costco Facebook group as well which also off- offers great prices and I can't believe how many vegan products are in the Costcos in the states specifically but even in in Canada we have access to a lot of large size vegan items that are basically half price from what you would get them Mm. in the regular stores.
4: Yeah, totally. Actually, all of those big box stores have vegan options and VegNews.com has a lot of those stories on, you know, what specifically to look for. And those are always the top performing stories at VegNews.com because that is what people are looking for. You're right. A hundred percent.
0: Yeah, totally. So there are many points shared in your book about the various reasons to go vegan. But one chapter that I was particularly impressed with was the cheese quandary chapter on day 13. As you say in your book, you've heard a lot of people say, well, we've heard a lot of people say, but I could never live without cheese. I can't tell you what goes <laughs> through my mind when I hear that. And I see it a lot on on forums as well, like on Facebook discussions. And I feel compelled to jump in. So this is, they say this before, realizing that vegan cheese is the greatest thing on earth and these days there is no reason for wanting anything. You didn't live in the dark ages where there was only – I mean I could only get a hold of like the soy cheese that had casein in it. Like there wasn't really any Mm -hmm. vegan cheese back in the day like 20 years ago. And now look at all the options that exist. But I think uh, some or probably still a lot of people don't realize what has to happen to animals in order for the dairy cheese to exist. And actually, the dairy that humans consume is stolen from newborn calves that come from other cows who need to be pregnant or have just given birth in order to produce the milk. So I'll say that because we've, we've spoken about that a lot on the show. But what I've never read before is how rennet is made. That was mm-hmm. a sort of a mind blower for me. And then the deal about About trans fats in dairy cheese. I wonder if you could speak on those, please.
4: Oh, yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought this up because rennet is something that my vegan editor over at Hachette, whose name is Renee Sedlier, wanted to make sure that we included because of the same reason. It's not that often. You know, I I only vaguely knew. And uh, and then when I started doing the research, I was like, oh, wow, okay. Because, you know, rennet can sometimes be derived from like a non-flesh source, but of course, they're all made with the animal derived milk. And the truth is rennet comes from a calf's stomach lining, which is horrible because the purpose of the enzymes that are, you know, what rennet is, it, you know, many cheeses are made with this enzyme. The The purpose of these enzymes specifically is to help a nursing baby to digest the baby's mama's milk. And in cheese making it as a coagulant So it's really horrible because after that baby calf who's from the veal industry is slaughtered, his fourth stomach, which contains these enzymes, is removed and dried and cleaned and then sliced into tiny pieces and placed in an extraction solution which after several days will be filtered. And that's rennet. That's how you get rennet. <laughs> so it's it's not even vegetarian, if yeah, you think about it. Yeah,
0: rennet is really, it's just like another one of those horrible things that people do to animals. I just couldn't believe it when I read about that in your book. So thanks for educating me about that topic. I wanted to get that out to our listeners as well. And then can you speak about what you talk about regarding trans fats in your book?
4: Oh yeah, well, as you know, dairy cheese is is terrible for you, not only just for the animals, but also for humans. It's very high in saturated fat and cholesterol. And even 2% milk has 0.2 grams of trans fat, which is a substance that the FDA says we should never eat. So it's kind of surreal when you look deeper into what really is lurking in cheese.
0: Yes. And then another eye opener I hadn't really put this all together before. Like I I know about, of course, that most people in the world are actually lactose intolerant. And you take this further. You say that the dairy marketing industry is a perfect example of institutionalized racism. Can you tell us about what that means?
4: Yeah, well, as you mentioned 65% 65% of the global population is lactose intolerant, but that goes a lot higher once you're talking about people of the global majority. So African, Asian, Hispanic and indigenous people. It's really kind of mind blowing when you really get into these numbers. It's 70 to 75% of African Americans are lactose intolerant, 95 to 98% of Asian Americans, 74% of Indigenous. It goes on and on, like well over half Hispanic Americans. And when you think about the fact that the recommendations for consuming dairy are created with all of this data readily available, then, of course, it is a racist product. It's a product that discriminates against people of the global majority who cannot digest it. It, It's really it it kind of puts a new spin on uh, the upcharge in uh dairy alternatives at like Starbucks or what have you because <laughs> to me that is a racist upcharge exactly and it's never
0: thought of that way because people i swear like people don't know about dairy intolerances and and i see people who fit into these categories of being 95% dairy intolerant because Vancouver is made up largely of of people of asian culture and they consume a lot of dairy, like right in front of me, and I see it. And I just want to say, you know, you could have gotten soy milk instead. Like, I can't believe you drink that much cow's milk on a daily basis when you know it hurts your stomach. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's it's even ignored by the people who it hurts. And, and that's why I think that's the first step. People don't even take it further and realize the racist implications. So that yeah. is, that's such an important point. And I'm glad you brought that up in your book. And just to point out too, you're probably aware of this, but 2 years ago our Canada's Food Guide was rewritten and mm-hmm. it was the first time that the dairy industry was not allowed to take part in the decision-making process of what was going to be a food group. And as a result of that, there were proper like dietitians on the board and they actually took out the dairy category in our in our food guide after all these decades. It no longer says that dairy must be eaten.
3: So, that's great Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh,
0: It talks about dairy alternatives And I tell you The dairy industry Isn't happy about that They're they're really starting To lose out And you might see Really lame commercials On TV Why cow's milk Is superior to almond milk And that's just Really laughable I think They're trying very hard And then just one more Final thing Because uh, I just wanted to Dig into into Dairy as, as you do in the book Is can you tell us A bit about The environmental Implications of the Dairy industry Some people might know that meat is really bad for for the environment. I have Mm -hmm. a friend who says because of the environment, he no longer eats four-legged animals, but he eats the two-legged ones and all the dairy. So what kind of information can you share with our listeners about the environment and dairy?
4: Yeah, I do get into the environmental implications. I have a chapter on that. But specifically about dairy for every glass of milk you don't drink, you save the water equivalent of more than a 30 minute shower. I mean, tell your friend that or this person, you know, and on top of that staggering statistic 1.2 billion pounds of waste is produced each day by the global dairy cattle population so there is nothing eco-friendly about consuming dairy and everything that points otherwise is as you said a symptom of what we at our hen house call rising anxieties it it is (laughs) it's like You know, people getting desperate when the answer is right in front of them and the answer does not involve oppressing cows or any other animal, whether they are animals who live alongside us on land or animals who swim in the oceans. There's nothing good for the environment in any way, shape or form.
0: So on your podcast, you've talked a lot about recidivism. And yes, I think that going vegan can be scary for a lot of people because it makes us feel perhaps vulnerable and prohibitively permanent, as you say, to cross over to the other side and leave everyone else behind effectively. Can you talk about some of the reasons why going vegan just doesn't stick for everyone and break Mm -hmm. those reasons down to, you know, there's a solution to every problem. So let's find some solutions to the problems rather than just giving up like Miley Cyrus did.
4: Oh, I know, right? Yes, absolutely. And we also felt this was really important to include because of the people like Miley Cyrus who like right. come up with some bogus reason why they stop being vegan but usually it's it's actually pretty easy to unpack and to predict to be honest so the some of the reasons people stop being vegan, are, they equate food restriction with veganism. Food restriction is usually unsustainable, period. It is not veganism. There is a lack of high quality fat. I, I have known people who stopped being vegan because they were consuming no fat and their body just started eventually breaking down. Food addiction is a thing. I've been hearing from some people in, who who aren't in my vegan circles who want the book but they're really concerned about the fact that they're they're having a lot of cravings and and a lot of people do need, you know, some t- some studies say 66 days for their body to adjust to a new habit. You'll see different different studies, but every every one of them pretty much points to the fact that, you know, it takes our body some time to adjust. And a really easy way to stop being vegan is to surround yourself with non-supportive people. Yeah, <laughs>
0: it's like, which is you know? a really easy situation to be in for most people.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, community is extremely important. And when we went vegan, like we we did find our communities. And it was harder then than it is now, especially because and, you know, the time of COVID has really shown how we can optimize a digital community. And you and I have podcasts to create community and and lots of other projects as well. But there is something very important about knowing people, actually knowing people in real life. So if you're surrounding yourself with people who aren't going to be supportive of you, then there are other reasons to start to look at why you're surrounding yourself with those people in the first place. And then the final reason why I point to why people might stop being vegan is if they have unexpected or unwanted weight loss or weight gain. And I do have a chapter about that cuz you know every body is different and sometimes we have to make certain adjustments, whether we're people who want to lose weight or gain weight or stay the same. So it's really not hard. It's not rocket science. And occasionally when people go vegan, if they aren't placing their same nutrients, their same calories with the vegan version, they might experience weight loss or weight gain that throws them off a little bit. But there's some very easy ways of addressing that.
0: Awesome. So definitely veganism is about abundance and not deprivation. We both know that. So I want to talk about that a bit to be set up for success by reading your book, for example, or having other means of support. Another means of support that I can suggest is if you live in Vancouver, I mentioned the Vancouver Vegans Facebook group. We have over 9,000 members on there. It's so supportive, friendly, very informative, please join that group and actually our co-host Elise is the admin for that group so and I'm on there a lot too so and if you whatever wherever you live join your local vegan Facebook group and if you don't live somewhere that has one start one or join one in another area that's close to you and there's also Vegans United for uh, the whole world so there's there's support there so being set up for success and the abundance of positive change that comes with a life that encompasses your values of compassion and health for the earth. And what is the difference that one person can make in this journey that is actually being made by more people now than ever?
4: Well, I think that humans are a social species and we still impact each other person to person and by example. And that is one of my favorite parts about being vegan. So every time you're posting what you ate for your Christmas meal, then people are going to see it. Every time you go to a restaurant, which I'm not doing right now until there's a vaccine available to me. But in non-COVID times, if you go to a restaurant, you order the vegan dish. The waiter hears you, the person next to you might hear you, the person you're with. They understand that this is a a choice that people make. So I think that we should not underestimate the value of one person changing. If we underestimated that, then we wouldn't vote. We would feel free to litter. These are worldviews that we already have. So why don't we extend them to veganism? And then I guess finally, I think that there's value in remembering that every single individual matters every individual life that we are choosing to celebrate instead of consume it matters to that animal it's like the starfish story which is a very cliche story cliche for a reason but you make a difference to that one animal who you're saving and though we do need systemic solutions the best way to motivate businesses to change is to vote with our dollars. And that is why it has gone up 600% in the last three years, because we are making those choices. And it is something that we can do that is in alignment with who we want to be in this world.
0: Exactly. And our first interview for today's show addresses that is how to make a difference with your dollars in the vegan economy. So finally, I'm just going to leave with a fun two-part question. First of all, what are a few of your favorite recipes from the book that you'd like to recommend? And secondly, how did you celebrate your December holidays with, I'm assuming, amazing vegan food and also belated happy Hanukkah? Oh,
4: thank you very much. Okay, well, I I am very lucky that I partnered with VegNews on this book because VegNews has access to some truly extraordinary recipe developers who are not me, and they are the ones who provided the recipes for this book, so I will answer you, but I think you might have a different answer than me. I like the best ever mac and cheese just for your old comfort food, you know, classic food here, mac and cheese. It doesn't you don't beat it. And that is by Allison Rivers Sampson. And I again, another super simple one, we have some very easy homemade DIY milks, which I do enjoy making. So those were created by Sarah McLaughlin, who is an editor at Veg News. So those are my favorites. But there's also some really complex, really delectable recipes in there for people who are a little bit braver than I am in the kitchen. And how did I celebrate? My wife made a vegan version of the Chelsea bun that she had seen on the Great British baking show. And so there was like a non vegan version on the show. And she was like angry about that. And a Chelsea bun is basically uh, imagine a cinnamon bun, but uh, make it savory. And on the inside, you basically put whatever savory food you want. So she made seitan and stuffing and cranberry sauce, like Thanksgiving leftover type of food and scuffed it into this homemade dough and rolled it and then instead of icing there was gravy so we had that for a christmas and it was amazing
0: that sounds awesome i'm gonna look up chelsea bun as i've never heard of that before so the one thing i think that 2020 has brought to a lot of people is perhaps reintroducing the joy of baking and cooking because as you said We don't want to go to restaurants. And I think that's a positive thing. So embrace all the vegan recipes out there in book, in your veg news guide, in so many Mm -hmm. on the internet. If I want a recipe and I want it now, I just type in what ingredients I have and, or I'll put in, I'll put in best eggplant, tofu and Mm -hmm. broccoli dish, which is what I have in my fridge right now and what I want to make for tonight. And then it just Mm. pops up. You print it out. You're done. So thank you so much, Jasmine Singer, for coming on the show today to discuss how to look good, do good, and feel good in 30 days by learning and embracing the vegan lifestyle as per your many years of experience. Jasmine's book can be found at Amazon on Kindle, audiobook, and paperback. And I do want to really recommend to check out her book because it it has so many topics. We were only able to get a glimpse of a few of them in this interview, even though there was a lot of information there. Just imagine how much more there is in the book. And you can find out more about Jasmine and her work at jasminsinger.com And definitely check out vegnews.com for a large variety of fun and positive articles on the vegan lifestyle and recipes galore. And don't forget to listen to Jasmine and Marianne's Our Hen House weekly vegan podcast. Podcast on all podcast players and at henhouse.org. Happy New Year, Jasmine, and
4: stay safe in New York. Happy New Year to you too. So wonderful to talk. I hope it's not another five years.
0: <laughs> You've been listening to the Animal Voices radio show on 100.5 FM, Vancouver co-op radio on unceded and ancestral tsleil Musqueam, and Squamish territories in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Next week, Please join us for the show on Friday, January the 15th. Elise will be producing and will be presenting an interview with the world's leading penguin expert, Diane DiNapoli, for Penguin Awareness Day, which occurs on January the 20th. We here at the Animal Voices show modestly ask you to keep connected with Animal Voices via the World Wide Web. Our past shows can be listened to on our website at animalvoices.org. Our past podcasts are also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. So you can subscribe to us there and never miss a show. Join our Facebook page and join us at Instagram, both at Animal Voices Vancouver. And if you want to get in touch, let us know how we're doing or send along show segment ideas You can send us a note on Facebook or send us an email to info at animalvoices.org. And yes, we are on Twitter as well, Animal Voices YVR. To close the show today, I am playing this special song, Dark Angel by Blue Rodeo, in dedication of Long Lost Loves. Stay tuned next for Radio Ecoshock with Alex Smith. Thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices today. Stay safe and remember to be kind to the animals.
1: I met this girl She was walking she smiles and everything that she said made so So Colorado is a place I have to go. I heard a rumor she loves the mountains and the snow, well, my dark angel, she gave me diamonds for hours, my dark angel. Dark angel, think I love. Thank you For stopping to talk And I wonder Just into